Welcome to His Story, a teaching series with Pastor Mickey Bryce from Center Stage Church. This nine-part series explores the story of God from a theater perspective. Now, here's Mickey Bryce. If you would take your Bible and uh, turn to the New Testament, it's uh, on the right side, the book of Acts, and just hold it there in chapter 1. We'll get to that in just a few seconds. This is the next to the last installment uh, of our series called History. It is also available on podcast, and so we're excited about that. We hope in the future both Rob's series that he preaches from time to time, as well as my next series, both will include a separate podcast in days and weeks to come. If you're listening on the podcast, we certainly welcome you as well, wherever you are, whatever you're doing um, at this time, to uh, be part of our study here at Center Stage Church. So history is a sort of a survey of the entire Bible, but it's more than that. It's more like a theological survey than a historical one, but it does move chronologically through the Bible. And a couple of weeks ago, we began in the New Testament talking about the incarnation of Jesus Christ. The series allusions and illustrations are kind of in the context of theater. Use theatrical terms kind of as a nod to our outreach ministries, AO Theater, and to the things that we have a lot of people that are involved in the theater that understand all these terms that some here that don't necessarily do a theater might not understand. So if there's something like that that uh, fails your appreciation, uh, you can speak to me about it later, and I'll try to do my best to explain it. Today is called World Tour, and everybody in theater knows what a world tour is, rock music, uh, classical music. A world tour is a time where you take your story and you present it all over the world. No one would dispute that Led Zeppelin is one of rock music's most iconic and legendary bands. A number of years ago was a lot of rumor about a world tour that they were going to take, but without their lead singer, Robert Plant. I know you, most of you guys have never heard of him, but Dave and I have. But the world tour really never came to be. The group disbanded in the early 80s. There have been numerous empires, political empires, in history that sought to cover the whole world. You know maybe some of them. Some have been more successful than others. So one of the earliest was the Egyptian Empire. There you see all around the Red Sea and the Mediterranean. Later, there was the uh, Roman Empire, and you can see there it sort of circled the Mediterranean Ocean. And then later, the British Empire, all those orange countries all over the world. How a little country about the size of a speck was managed to lead all of those other countries, it's beyond me. Sometimes the world stage is taken on not by a rock group or even a military kingdom. Sometimes the world meets a small red can filled with sweet, bubbly brown liquid. And it decides to become a world tour like no other product in human history. A Coke has achieved that. It is sold today in more than 200 countries and languages. A preacher once told of a church taking out 
towel dispensers in the uh, restrooms and in the hallways from their bathrooms and instead installing electric dryers in their place. And you've seen those, you push the button, you push the button and you know, you're uh, overcome with hot air. He said that someone had taped a note on one of the blow dryers that says, please press this button for a short recorded message from our pastor. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I don't have to, I don't have to elicit an amen on that. It's a uh, well, I hope what we talk about today is not hot air. I hope it's helpful to you. It was helpful to me to write it, bring you up to date. The message of history or his story is that Christ has now come in the flesh. God has become man. The doctrine of the incarnation is central to the story of Christianity. Because it is God who created the heavens and the earth who decides to save that creation from its own sin. And he does so by and only by sending himself or his son to the world to become man like us yet without sin and to die a convict's death on a cross in order to pay the penalty that you and I owed God because of our sin, and therefore to wash away the effect of that sin if we believe that. It's an amazing story. Today in the book of Acts, we're going to see what is going to happen to take the story of God on a world tour. Okay? When we uh, finished the last time we were together, we were still prior to some of the events immediately surrounding Jesus' death and resurrection, but you know the story. There was a confusing time, a terrible time, crisis executed wrongly, and the disciples are confused about his message because what they expected was for the Messiah to reinvent Israel as a world kingdom. Christ didn't do that. He said, my kingdom's not of this world. So they were confused. He was gone. And they were left trying to figure out what that meant. So fast forward now past the resurrection to the beginning of the story of the book of Acts, which is the post-resurrection story of Christianity. Let me pray for us and we'll get into this. Father, thank you today for your word. Thank you that it is true and good and right. Father, not only do we appreciate it intellectually and learn from it, we must bow our knees in humble submission to its directives as well in order to make his story come alive in us. And we pray, Father, that we might not miss the fact that we must obey Scripture for it to fully have its impact in our lives. So we pray that we might know what to do and that we might have the strength to do it. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So three days after his death, God begins to unfold the next chapter. The next chapter is, as we've said, this historic world tour of Christianity. And we're going to see that Christ himself, post-resurrection, is going to issue the commands. I thank Kevin for singing the song that he sang about worldwide Christianity today. It's a perfect illustration of what we're going to talk about. Christ has been miraculously raised from the dead. 
The sacrifice for sin has been accomplished. What God needed to provide in terms of justifying man to himself has been done. His perfection being sacrificed would allow him to be a substitutionary death on your and my part. The sacrifice has been made, and now it is time to talk about it. First with the people that have been close to Jesus, and then radiating outward to the entire world, therefore the world tour. So there are five events which combine to prepare the disciples for that world tour. Think about it. These are guys in a closed living room or kitchen, sitting around wondering how not to get arrested. This is going to become a world religion, the only true one, I might add. How do you get those people to get that done? It's amazing. To get this world tour going, you've sort of got to set a fire, right? Sometimes the hardest thing uh, we ever had to do around our house was get the kids to make up their bed. Now it's she has to get me to make up the bed. And believe me, that's harder. Five events. So I want to look at each one of them because a lot of times, especially we learned this kind of thing when we were young, when you first came to Christ, and you sort of forget that the story of Christianity is not just a bunch of people who, as if you would listen to the critics of Christianity claim, made up a bunch of stuff, or were deluded, or were speaking in an, uh, sort of an imaginary, propositional kind of language, rather than just reporting the facts. And when people use Scripture to show the historical evidence, people say, oh, well, Scripture was written by men many, many years later. And yet, when scientists get in and start digging into it, you find there is more evidence that Jesus Christ lived and died and was resurrected than there is most any other historical event in the history of man. So I'll let this be a little short of an apologetic kind of message, but there are some things that can be used when you take your story on a world tour. Here's the first one. Jesus began to appear to those that knew him shortly after the resurrection. Mary Magdalene, Simon Peter, the 11 disciples. Remember, Judas was dead by now. Seven more, a second time. Jesus' half-brother James, who was not a disciple. 500 more then after that. The 11 again, and again, and again. Two more on the road to Emmaus. And let's talk about a few of these because they're each one of them quite incredible and quite necessary to prove to the disciples this really is Jesus. So I just lost one of my parents. And can I tell you that it would be rather wild if she showed up at our house. All kidding aside, any of us that have had a loved one die and go to heaven or wherever, know that we're not ever going to see that person in his life again. Think about it. Knock, 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 open the door. It's Jesus. Would you be able to handle that? Well, 
Would you be Peter or would you be uh, one of the others? How would you respond? So let's look at him. Matthew 28, verse 18. We see that in verse 18, Jesus is going to, in one of his post-resurrection appearances, give directions to the disciples about what they should do next. Okay? So they already believe that he's been resurrected. This is not the first time that he appeared. But it says Jesus came to them and said, he's sitting there talking to them. He's right there. So get past the freak out. Now you're sort of like, oh yeah, Jesus again. No, it's <laughs> still, wow. And he says, so, I mean, don't miss that, that amazement. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. No kidding. Those are my words. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. This is referred to as the Great Commission. It is the instruction Jesus gave about evangelism. It is, hey, go on a world tour. Talk about this to everybody you know at every level, every day. So now you can say, well, okay, that was the disciples they needed to share, but don't get disconnected from you because if we believe Scripture by what it teaches us to think that it is, it is written then, but it's written to us to obey as well. So when you see a directive, of course, context is king. You have to understand, is Jesus saying this is true for us too? And the answer is yes. The Great Commission applies to everyone in this room that's a believer. It applies to our church. So, this is the last personal instruction given to, to Jesus' disciples by Jesus. And this, he means business. He begins by restating his omnipotence. All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. So that's a pretty good statement. You'd like to think, have you ever met anybody that thought that was true about themselves? Come on, laugh. We all have, and it's true of no one other than God. I love the uh, book by Ashley Brilliant, um, and you can't read that very well, but it says, uh, all I want is a warm bed, a kind word, and unlimited power. <laughs> Funny book. Well, seriously, Jesus had unlimited power. Unlimited. It was nothing to him. I mean, it was something to us because it needed to be done, but... God, because he's perfect and because he's omnipotent, doesn't have to go, ah, to pull off a miracle. He doesn't have to struggle with it and say, shh, you know, like on a silly Harry Potter show or something. He doesn't have to try hard. God never tried hard at anything. He just does because he's perfect and he's omnipotent, which means unlimited power. And he is giving an order. It's an order here. It's a commission. Go do this. Get your butt in gear. Whatever you want to say. God is issuing an order to us. To them. 
to every believer since. Go and make disciples. Now, what does that mean? We'll get into that in just a little bit. Second, it's a calling to all Christians to be involved in his, his story. In other words, it's not just something you believe and go back to your job. Becoming a Christian is not just something you ascribe to. It's something that changes you. One day when you trust Christ, and then whatever time in the future, you become more like Him if you're following Him. It changes you. You became more this, more that, more like the Master through a lot of different ways. We call that sanctification. So the directive has been at the foundation of Christian missionary work ever since. Christianity is the most evangelical of the world religions by far. There are some people whose uh, false religions have involved takeovers and, you know, outward instructions and so on. But the heart of Christianity is outreach. When I was young as a pastor and learning how to take care of a music ministry at the time, but later as a, a full church, the the whole idea of a, what a biblical church is deserves consideration when you read Scripture. And many times churches, you look at them and you've been involved in them, one like this, I know, they become internally focused because the power, if you will, and the people is interested in its own comfort. So instead of sending $100,000 to the mission field or hiring a missionary or supporting a missionary like we do, they may choose something that is more temporal that benefits their own comfort. Now, I'm not suggesting that every situation is either or. Obviously, we have padded chairs here. But the heart of Christianity is outreach equal to teaching. If you look at our statement of faith, it says that we equally value evangelism and discipleship, which is the teaching of God's Word to believers, the sharing of God's Word, the truth of Christ to non-believers. That's evangelism, and that's what Jesus is talking about here. They are to share the story of Jesus, and to do that, you have to go there. Ask any traveling salesman, how do you make sales calls? You go knock on their door. Even in the day of digital advertising and all of that, you're still knocking on doors. You're just getting in a different way. So, third, in the book of Acts, we're going to read about the next event, which happens after the appearance of Christ several times. We read in the process of taking the story global, something called the ascension. And that just means Jesus went back to heaven. Jesus is eating dinner with the disciples and teaching them about what it is to come during the world tour. So, again, don't miss this part. Jesus is sitting around eating dinner with them. He's there while they're eating dinner. And he's telling them, oh, by the way, it's like he never had been gone. Isn't that kind of like mind-blowing? Think about someone that you've lost and they're like sharing a dinner with you two weeks from tonight. Do you think you might listen to what they had to say? Probably. This ascension is recorded in Acts 1, 
verse 3. So let's look at that. Jesus appeared to them over a period of 40 days after the, after the crucifixion, spoke with them about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, when he was eating with them, he gave them the command, Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift the Father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. But when they met together, they asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom? Remember, they thought the Messiah's job was political. Restore the kingdom to Israel. He said to them, it's not for you to know the dates or times. The Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria to the ends of the earth. And after this, he was taken up before their very eyes and a cloud hid them from their sight. So, what? Just as soon as we got used to having you again, Lord, and you like float up or exactly what that looked like, I can't imagine. I can't imagine. It's not something you see every day. But think about it. What's happening is this miraculous stuff and the profundity of what Jesus is talking about is beginning the transformation in the lives of the disciples. Because guess what? They got a big job coming. Every single one of them is going to lose their life except for John. Because of it, the Holy Spirit is promised. Whoa, what is the Holy Spirit? The, the, the Old Testament taught that the Spirit of God was bestowed and put in people for a specific job at a specific time. But what we understand as the complete indwelling of the Holy Spirit permanently for the life of the body of the Christian is a New Testament concept. And it came after this day where the Holy Spirit was given. Prior to that, the Holy Spirit's the same Holy Spirit, but was given for specific tasks and empowered. But it wasn't an indwelling on a permanent basis like we understand the Holy Spirit to be since the day of Pentecost. So let's talk about this because this is another big step on the way to taking this tour on the road. Acts 2, verse 1. Before any world tour starts... You have to get your funding, right? Costs a lot of money. Well, in a sense, the disciples had to get their spiritual funding, their power from God. He promised that he would take care of that. And here it comes, the Holy Spirit. Again, depending on your denominational or non-Christian background, you may understand more or less about who the Holy Spirit is. We believe the Holy Spirit is equal member of the Godhead. The Holy Spirit is given on the moment of salvation, according to my understanding of Scripture, not somewhere subsequent later on. But the Holy Spirit empowers Christians and indwells Christians permanently, which is a little bit different than the fellowship with God, which is our closeness to Him that's based on our obedience. The indwelling of the Holy Spirit is something that the Holy Spirit is given to every believer at the moment of salvation. And that Holy Spirit has a certain function as God to teach us the Word of God, to convict of sin, to give you courage uh, to do the tasks that God has given for you to do, to pray for you when you have no words. When your heart is so broken, you, you don't have words. The Holy Spirit makes intercession, Scripture says. So, here's the story. 
when the day, and we're at Acts 2 verse 1. When the day of Pentecost come, and this is 50 days after the resurrection, i.e. the word Pentecost, okay? When the day of Pentecost came, 50 days after the resurrection, 10 days after the ascension, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like a blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So again, this is another incredible miracle. I don't know if you spent much time thinking about what the day of Pentecost might have been to experience. I saw a presentation in Dallas years ago called the Day of Pentecost, which was a giant mural, and it was a kind of an AV program where you kind of began to see what the Day of Pentecost might have been like. And most of us don't spend a ton of time talking about it. I guess we should, because... If you think about it, it's pretty important because if you're called upon to do a task, you need strength and power to pull that task off. Ellen and I, when we watch TV at night, we're kind of on a World War II kick. And we watched this week, one night, Midway, the next night, the old Midway. Two movies about the Battle of Midway, which is a story of incredible determination and sovereignty of, some would call it luck, I don't call it luck, I call it sovereignty, where we won the first really big battle of the Pacific War in World War II. And I'm overwhelmed with the amount of sheer firepower that came at Midway with the Japanese and caught them by surprise by the Americans. Four carriers, four aircraft carriers, <laughs> changed the entire tone of the Pacific War. Well, this day of Pentecost changed the entire trajectory of the disciples' lives because now all of a sudden they have God indwelling them, telling them, teaching them, instructing them, all of that. He is the power behind going out and doing what Jesus commanded them to do. So it's like, wow, that's pretty cool. So God asked me to do something, and he gives me the power to do it. Thank you, because I didn't think I could do it. Well, but it's the same for us, and we still don't get it. God's called you to do something, but you don't believe that God's given you the power because you never really ask, number one. And you don't count on it, number two. And so you never do it. And sometimes I never do it. And sometimes others never do it. Because we miss that this truth is true today for us as well. We won't go there for very long. The most dramatic transformation was that of Peter, who is my favorite New Testament disciple character. He was impetuous and loud and boisterous and wrong a lot of the time. He talked before he thought, and lo and behold, when Jesus is crucified, he denies Christ and says he never knew him three times, and so on and so forth. You know the story. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter 
delivers the most magnificent sermon of Christian testimony recorded in the New Testament outside of the words of Christ himself. More than 3,000 people that day came to know Christ as their Savior and began to, it's sort of like the first performance on the world tour. We're getting ready to launch, folks, and here we go, and it's going to start off here, and it's a bang of a startup. Another step in this world tour has to do with the people that you wouldn't think were the intended recipients of God's great gift of Christ, and that is uh, Gentiles, okay? So we don't, we're all Gentiles, and maybe some people with Jewish blood in them here today, but most of us are non-Jewish believers. That's what a Gentile is. But at the time, of course, everything was built around the history of Judaism and, and of the Jewish faith. And Christ was a Jew and all of the disciples were Jewish and on and on and on. And the last step in the instructions of Christianity are, again, miraculous and amazing that God says, hey, it's not just about this little group of people. My people need to be expanded to who they are. It doesn't mean that everybody gets saved. It means that the people of God are understood to include non-Jews. And there's a long experience um, a story recorded in Acts 11, which is God's correction of the disciples' faulty attitude toward Gentiles. At the time, to make a long story short, the disciples believed, okay, if God wants to reveal himself to the Gentile world, that's fine. But they have to become Jews first. Then they can understand Christ because Jesus came to save his people, which is the Jews. And that turns out not to be what God said. And the story, uh, I'll move quickly through this because uh, it's a long story, but it's the story of Cornelius. And God makes it clear that history is intended for the whole world. The whole world, everyone in the world is the intended recipient of history his story, not just Jews. So let me read this quickly. About noon the following day, this is found in Acts 11, verse 34, uh, uh, starting in verse 9. About noon the following day, as they were on their journey, and this is the disciples, Peter went up to the roof to pray. He fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down on earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So remember, the Jews had very specific dietary restrictions. There were things they couldn't eat. And that was, in part, a way to express their uh, Judaism. They were instructions from God, and they're not disputed. Peter says, surely not, Lord. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time, said, Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. That's a shocking admission at the time to Jews. Shocking. This is God himself explaining his own directive, which he has the right to do. It is, okay, we revealed this much of the truth 
up to this point, but I'm going to give you the rest of the story, which completes the truth. That's not a correction of the other. It's a continuation and an explanation of the truth. Peter's wondering... The voice says to him a second time, do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, it says. And immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So Peter's wondering about this. Some men from a Roman centurion named Cornelius have come to get him. An angel has appeared to this centurion and told him to go get Peter. Verse 19. While Peter was still thinking about the vision, the Spirit said to him, Simon, three people are looking for you, so get up and go downstairs. Do not hesitate to go with them, for I have sent them. Okay, Lord. Peter went down and said to the men, I'm the one you're looking for. Why have you come? The men said, We have come from Cornelius the centurion. He is a righteous and God-fearing man who is respected by all the Jewish people. Holy angels said to have you come to his house so that he could hear what you have to say. Peter invited the men to be his guests. Talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, You are well aware that it is against our law for a Jew to associate with a Gentile or visit him. Then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God doesn't, listen to this, if you want to think about any sort of superior race in any sort of subtle understanding is not a biblical doctrine. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism, but accepts men from every nation who fear him and do what is right. You know the message God sent to the people of Israel, telling the good news of peace through Jesus Christ, who is Lord of all. Peter then engages a campaign to help early Christianity understand the ministry to the Gentiles. Yes, he was slow to get there, so Paul picked up the mantle, and yes, they had a little tension there working that out. But that's to be understood because this was a monumental shift of understanding with the church and central to the world tour. Because why go on a world tour if there's no Jews over there? The point of the world tour is to take it places where it's never been. And there's only one reason to do that is if God intends for those people to hear about it like he did for you to hear about it. And again... Understand, this has enormous implications for our culture today because there can be no racism in Christ. It doesn't exist. I mean, it exists sinfully, but it's not right because it's, you're not understanding that this is not a, a, a purity of love of all kinds of people, both genders, etc., etc. It's not something that happened in 2020. This happened here. God said, all of these people are important to me. Yes, it is our humanity that is sought to, you know, dominate and all of this stuff created racial tensions. And yes, people, maybe with good intentions, have stoked that and made it worse. All of that. Let's stick to the issue here, though. God says, Gentiles... The message of Christ is designed for them too. They do not have to become Jews first. Gentile Christian can become a Christian directly. 
So, the audience of God's story has now understood all men and women, every race, every age. The disciples have believed they are commissioned, they are empowered or funded. They've received their power and they know their audience. The world tour has begun. And that's what the rest of the New Testament is about. The beginning of the world tour. Taking the message of Christ. Every disciple. If you ever look up sometime, what happened to the disciples? It's very interesting. Yes, it's true that all but John were martyred. But look at where they went. Egypt. Greece. Africa. India. It's amazing. They all, it was like somebody thought that up, huh? Somebody commissioned that. I don't read the instructions where it said, okay, here, you go here, you go here. Because God is living inside of them telling them. That's how. It's rather decentralized. Don't we wish that in our wars, our commander-in-chief, whoever that might be. Um, no comment would be able to communicate directly with the troops. Save a lot of trouble, wouldn't it? So, the world tour begins of history. And it's not just them. That tour continues to this day. The reason that you're in this world is in part to participate in the world tour. It's a function more than it is a location, but it is definitely a location. I remember, again, learning, okay, why, like on a missions committee, why do we have to send all the money overseas? Why can't it be local missionaries? Well, it can. Many times it is, but we should not eliminate overseas missions because that seems to fly in the face of what Jesus said. We should do this, and we should do this, and we should do that. Close, medium, and far. We call that becoming a world Christian. But let me say that this message about being on the world tour is not for them, it's for you. In Gold Canyon, half of you retired, some of you still working, you. So bring it down to me. This is not an academic exercise of enlightenment to learn history. If you don't do something about these things, then what's the point? No one ever comes to Christ because somebody understood something. They come to Christ when somebody talks about something or when God shares that with somebody or when they read it in Scripture. God chooses all of us to be part of that. Now, it's not up to me to say what you should do. It's up to you. But if you haven't said that, then you have some work to do. So if you don't know what your part in that is, then that's my not-so-great commission, okay, to you. Go find out, because you're missing something that God has in store for you. And don't do it because you selfishly want something for yourself. Do it because God said so. And you want to be a good soldier. 
Get involved in the Great Commission is point number one in terms of an application. Speak to somebody, somewhere, sometime, at some length about what God has done in your life. We say, oh, I'm not very articulate. Shut up. You sure aren't very articulate if you will never choose to open your mouth. That tends to help you be not very articulate. Are you afraid? Okay, so am I. Who's not afraid to be rejected? We are. The point is, have you gotten on your knees before God enough times to let that not stand in your way? Well, I'm, I could never. I'm not, I'm not articulate. I don't care. Who's articulate? We just, you're an expert on you. Talk about your life and what God has done for you. That's all witnessing is. That's the Great Commission. Maybe it's your neighbor. Maybe it's your spouse. You don't have to go a million miles. Maybe God is calling you that. We went to see um, The Sound of Freedom this week. Won't get into that at this point, but I do recommend it. It's a hard movie to see. But it's about people who said, I can't do nothing. And that principle applies here in terms of the Great Commission as well. Remember this. If you are afraid, step out in faith. Here's two steps to take. Number one, remember fear is normal. Get over it. Okay, yeah, you're afraid. Now, go on anyway. Get over it. Proceed to step two. The Holy Spirit is your power too. If you believe God, you're going to find out here if you believe Him. If you believe God provides power to empower you to do what God asks you to do, you better not believe that God wants you to do it because then you have to believe that He's going to empower you and you have to be willing to do it. It all works together. That's how it works. Power up, baby. But fear is the enemy, and, and I, I'm not here to say everybody's bad or anything like that. We all are normal, which is fear is inhibiting. It's paralyzing. And unless we grapple with that, usually means we haven't grappled with God enough. So grapple away. Remember, fear is normal. Get over it. Get over it with God, I should say. The same God that powered Peter powers you. Peter hooked up to the Holy Spirit. You're hooked up to the Holy Spirit. He's the same Spirit. He lives inside of you. If you know Christ today, He's there. Take advantage of that. Test Him. Go out and share something and try it. And it may be terrifying to you, but I promise you God will be your strength. Allow God to give you courage. The reason that God has never given you courage, potentially, is because you've never needed it, because you have never done anything. Get out there in the marketplace or wherever it is that you think God's calling you. Grapple with that. Why am I here, God? What am I supposed to do? Who do you want me to talk? He'll tell you. He will. How would it not work if he didn't? He will power that, too. But until you have a reason to need the power, you're never going to experience it. That's the only way that fearful people are going to overcome their fear is by the power of the Holy Spirit.
Third, remember that God will lead me to all kinds of people. Now, you take this however you want. I said all kinds of people, not all people. All kinds of people. And by that, I mean both sexes, every race in the world, potentially, every age, potentially, young, old, etc., etc., etc. Scriptural understanding about who God loves includes all kinds of people, young and old, black and white, brown, people of color, every educational level, all kinds of economic levels. God cares about all kinds of people. And it is never has and never will be a biblical understanding that God wants to separate out for the good of humanity any sorts of junk like that. Is there evil in the world that separates people? Of course. The church has been the leading force in reconciling it and sometimes the leading force in sinful behavior as well, unfortunately. You can see that in history. But God is going to lead you to talk to whoever he chooses. Don't be afraid. If it's somebody that doesn't look like you, or act like you, it will. Every color, every nationality, every age, every class, every background. He might tend to uh, have you share Christ with someone who's, uh, lo and behold, across the political aisle from you. And there are plenty of Christians on both sides who think I can't possibly share Christ with a Republican Christian or vice versa. But you know what? There's no barrier there in Christ. That's why we don't want to talk about politics here. We want to talk about Jesus ticks. That's the only approved message. God will send you to people more than likely unlike yourself. It's just the way he does. That's his way. And when he does, be okay with that. Be okay with it. Now, it may not. I don't know. Lastly, this one's kind of a marketing thing more than a theological, but I would encourage you to see the world with Jesus. And what I mean by that is listen to the words of this song. It's uh, a song by a secular band. They're not Christians or anything, but they won multiple Grammys. The band is called Coldplay. And it is, the name of the song is How Do You See the World? And says this, are you missing something? Looking for something? Tired of everything? Searching and struggling? Are you worried about it? Do you want to talk about it? Oh, You're going to get it right sometime. There's so much to be scared of and not much to make sense of. Are you running in a circle? You can't be too careful. You can't relate because it's complicated. Well, I don't recall a time in my life that life seemed more complicated. It's like it's a challenge every day to think, what? What? And then the next day, what? And then the next day after that, 
<laughs> yeah, it's like, how can this get worse? What in the world is going on with this or with that? And it's like, anything can happen and it's like not going to surprise me. But the Bible promises this, that there is a life of fulfillment if you follow the Great Commission. God is going to talk to you. He's going to lead you. He's going to infuse you with uh, purpose. And it's a given. Maybe your world is your home. That's okay. Maybe your world is somebody else's home. Maybe your world is another country. Maybe for a time being. Tell you what, after seeing Sound of Freedom, the man goes to Columbia to rescue children. And I'm thinking, I wonder if I'm too old to get involved in this. That's how it affected me. I want to do something. Why? Because the story got inside of me. And that's the way it is with commitment. It gets inside of you and you think, i got to do something about this. So I'll leave that with you. You can struggle with that. I hope you do. Because I'm struggling with it. What do we do as people? Oh, can we just say, well, we're too old and we're retired? Well, hogwash. So was some of these guys in Scripture. What are you supposed to do when you're retired? Die? No. All of us would say, oh, no, no, no. We have a little, you know, no, 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 no. But inside of us, if you come into the face of Christ, you say, Lord, like a little child, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to do? And then you have to do it. So don't ask the question if you don't want to hear the answer. The answer lies somewhere on this page of scriptures. Because what he wants you to do is take his story to the world in the time that you have left. Which may be a long time. I hope it is. Especially in my case. Let's pray. Father, thank you today for this world tour that we, every one of us, have a chance to participate and to articulate and to enunciate your message to people. Lord, we thank you that you are still assembling a kingdom, a people for yourselves out of every race, every creed, every culture all over the world. You are busy having the scripture be translated into new languages and have people commit their, their lives to missionary activities both locally and overseas. And I pray, Father, that you might speak to us today and help us understand what it is you want us to do specifically for the kingdom of God. Thank you for the privilege of interacting with your word with these people. And I pray that in the hours and days to come that you might help us to know what the answer is for us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Join us for the next lesson in this Center Stage teaching series and tell a friend about our His Story podcast. For more information about Center Stage Church in Gold Canyon, Arizona, visit centerstagechurch.org. Thank you.